everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Good morning, Vietnam! Welcome to the jungle, baby. Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to Two Dudes Movie Reviews. Mama, the meatloaf! You see what happens, Larry? How'd it get burned? How'd it get burned? How'd it get burned? They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. I am loving this. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! Come with me if you want to live. Gentlemen, you have my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Now, here's your host, Sky and Colin. Here's Johnny! Hey, moviegoers! You're listening to Two Dunes Movie Reviews with Sky Halud and Gitter Dune. <laughs> Gitter Dune. <laughs> <laughs> if you need a steel suit to recycle your water for your survival, you might be a Fremen. <laughs> trying to think of something like sucking a golf ball through a still suit but i can't can't come up with it <laughs> no you got it you're right there it's on the tip of your tongue yeah on the tip of your tongue oh man we are if you haven't listened to the last four episodes um we're pretty excited if you haven't listened to the last year's worth of episodes you would know you would know we're pretty excited if you go back to 2019 it was our most anticipated movie for the next year and it got pushed back a full year yeah. then Oh, we almost killed ourselves. <laughs> that was a dark day. Yeah, somehow we didn't, and we're here, and we're sorry for it. <laughs> so sorry to do that to you. Dune has been kind of taking over my life, in a way. Oh, it's it's my only personality trait now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is, though, for me. <laughs> if you looked at my social media presence, yeah. <laughs> I changed my name on Instagram, and I... Pretty much only post Dune memes in my story now. Like, that's all yeah. I do. But, like, three or four a day. And people might be asking, you know, Sky, when are you going to stop? Because this is getting ridiculous. And I am going to stop. I'm going to stop as soon as Dune Part 2 comes out. Yeah. You'll you'll stop posting Dune Part 1 memes when Dune Part 2 comes out. <laughs> and then I'll start posting Dune, Dune Part 2 <laughs> memes. <laughs> and that's the rest of my life now. That's my life's work. Yeah. That's my golden path. <laughs> I need a, for continuity, I need to have a Dune pun for my Instagram. Because we were. Told you, Colin Idaho. <laughs> I kind of want to be just Colin Halud. <laughs> just be super lazy. <laughs> just so stupid. <laughs> Call Deeb. Not even, not even a clever. <laughs> ooh. Ooh, I like that. Um. I'm trying to think of one that's good for you. That's it's tough. Your name doesn't just slam into anyone. <laughs> you could just be Colin Harkonnen. Yeah. Yeah. Or Baron Colonican. <laughs> I don't know. Ooh, Colin Dan. Like Caladan. Mm. I don't know if people are gonna pick up on that though. Like no, no one. Like who's his? Is his middle name Dan? He's Colin Dan. <laughs> Colin Dan, <laughs> not even Daniel. 
Colin. Hey, Colin Dan. <laughs> What's your middle name? You don't know my middle name? You've told me. I forget, though. It starts with a G. Grayskull. You say graceful? <laughs> I said Grayskull, like from he Oh, Grayskull. <laughs> yeah. No, my, my middle name is actually um, Grace Moretz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a second, I was like, is it? And I was like, no, I'm dumb for even wondering. <laughs> no, there's no way. <laughs> uh, I was actually talking about um, Chloe Grace Moretz to Brianna like a week ago because she had never seen Kick-Ass. And then we were yeah. talking about how Jim Carrey, like after like filming was wrapped up on Kick-Ass 2, came out and was basically just like, don't see this movie. I regret ever being in it. And, uh, and she was like, she's like, why, why was he like so upset about being in the movie? I was like, well, like it was after a school shooting and the movie does have a lot of child violence. The movie does center around basically like a 13 year old girl, like shooting people in the head. <laughs> yeah. She was like, Oh, I was like, but she is really funny in it. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually just talking about Chloe Grace Moretz with Meg the other day. And, um, so I don't know what sparked it. I think she asked me, she's like, do you like her? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I got to think about what she's been in. I'm like, I like kick-ass. And then I thought about it. I'm like, she's in more horrible movies, not even just like okay movies, but she's in more bad movies than she's ever been in good movies. Mm -hmm. So I actually went through her Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, it's not good. how... Yeah, this is how boring our conversations are, I guess, because I'm just like, I'm going to take the time and do the math on her Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> She's in like 46 movies. Her average score, but across all movies, she's hitting the 44. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, solidly failing. Like her career is just solidly flops. Yeah, there's off the top of my head, there's four movies that she's been in that I actually like. And then there's a lot of stuff that I think is either meh or just really bad. <laughs> Remember she had a, that movie dark places that came out. She has a line towards the end of it. That's so awful, <laughs> but in movies that I yeah. know I like that she's like in that or like She's a big part of the movie, like kick ass one and two. And then I like Hugo and yeah. um, there's one other movie. No, she's in Suspiria, the remake. I like that one. And then there was something else that okay. came out that that I like. Hmm. Oh, um, L- let me in. I like that movie. I got you. I re- I remember I went and saw Let Me In with my girlfriend at the time, and like this girl that I was dating just didn't like any of the movies that I liked. Like we went and saw like District Nine, and she hated it, and Watchmen, and she hated that. And uh, then I remember we went and saw Let Me In, and I really liked it. And then as soon as the movie ended, like literally the second the screen turned black, she just went. Oh no. And she got up and left. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, Jesus Christ, you ass. <laughs> and you were like, I'm going to marry this woman. <laughs> no, I was like divorce. <laughs> yeah. That's all it takes. You don't like the movies. I like, we got a problem. It's <laughs> not, that's not true at all. Um, but it does, it does come in handy when, um, when you know, you have common ground when it comes to movies and stuff. Yeah. Mm hmm. I think I told you this off mic, but I saw Dune twice in theaters and uh, the second time uh, like Brianna wanted to see it again and all of like the other like neuro doctors really wanted to go see it. And uh, 
So they're like, oh, we're going to go buy tickets. And I was like, I will buy the tickets. I racked up like 50K <laughs> in Regal points. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But yeah, no, Brianna has pretty much the same taste in movies that I do. She's not as big in, into horror, but like sci-fi is both our favorite genre. So we were all about this, which was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Meg and I, Meg has read Dune. She bought me Dune to read uh, the same copy that you got, that special edition one. Yeah, it's so nice. And uh, I'm crushing, I'm already in the book. I'm well past where the movie ends. Nice. Nice. So, so that was, uh, that was handy and that was cool to have that under my belt before seeing this. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like we are both like obsessed with Dune, me and her. Yeah. And so we, we still are talking about the movie like constantly and also sharing Dune memes back and forth. <laughs> we, uh. I feel like it's kind of the same. Like me and Brianna were like, we're on the couch last night. We were just watching the hockey game. And, uh, and then just no, all of a sudden I was just like, I want to hear something cool about Dune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For any swampies at home wondering what it's like to live with us. It's fucking miserable. I'm sure <laughs> it's, it's a horrible existence. <laughs> it's just, it's just trying to have moments of silence and peace. And we're just like, so so Dune, did you know did you know a lot of Star Wars was based on Dune actually? <laughs> and but we're here for Dune. Dooney baby. We've been waiting a long time mm. to talk about this fucking two years. Yeah. To do this. Like, wow, annoying, but you know, <laughs> so happy, relieved that it's here. And uh, you know, fucking trailer park. <laughs> I just want to get it done. Yeah. Get her, get her, get her done. done. <laughs> get her done. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm here with you on that one. What are we talking today? Listen. Oh, God. <laughs> Every time we touch, I get this feeling. But also, every time we kiss... Swear I could fly. And I don't know if you can notice or if you can see my heartbeat fast. And I want this to last. Um what is that last line? Is it even when I die? No, I'm pretty sure it's uh do you want to take the red pill or blue pill? <laughs> yeah, uh, Matrix yeah. 4. <laughs> I was trying to tie that in for you in the laziest way ever. Yeah. <laughs> what is it called? Matrix 4 Reawakening. <laughs> the Matrix. Hmm. I mean, it's it's the Matrix Resurrections, but I'm trying to think yep. of... The Matrix Redirections. <laughs> the red pill is Viagra. Yeah. The Matrix Resolutions or Resurrections. Resolutions? Resurrections. Reductions. Restitution. Restitutions. <laughs> the Matrix Restaurant. The, the Matrix Restaurant. That's my favorite place to eat, actually. Because yeah, they, yeah. they got yeah. the Matrix Rigatoni. Yeah. The ma- oh, my God. The Matrix Rigatoni. And it has the sauce that looks like little like zero, ones and zeros like yeah. dripping down the screen. Mm-hmm. How do they do it? <laughs> SpaghettiOs. 
SpaghettiOs. That would work. Mm-hmm. Neon green SpaghettiOs. Yeah. I'd be like that ketchup mm. as a kid. They're like, oh, is ketchup too Ugh. boring for you? Get the green ketchup. <laughs> oh, the purple one, which always came out just like that weird murky gray. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Whose idea is that? Also, you know who else I'd like to rally against? The people who decided that peanut butter and jelly should come in the same jar. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Can't, you can't open two jars like one. It has to be one. <laughs> that second jar was really fucking killing you. <laughs> There's been multiple things in this show that I've mentioned about this person. And then I think you've always edited it out because you're like, I don't want to hurt their feelings, but I'm going to do it again and just see if I can get this one in. <laughs> there, there, was, there was a time when uh, the closers were playing a show and uh, we were playing at like some place that had a, a like a snack vending machine. And Nikki, yeah. <laughs> Nikki like walked past it and stopped and he was like, holy shit. And we're like, what? And he's like, they've got Lunchables <laughs> or no, not Lunchables. What was it? Snackables? Uncrustables? Uncrustables. That's what it was. He's like they got Uncrustables. Yeah. And he like ran to his car and dug up change and like bought like three Uncrustables. And I was like, why are you flipping out about Uncrustables? <laughs> it's a yeah. pre prepackaged shitty sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also. You don't, you can go to like a Walmart and they have them. Yeah. That's not, it's not like a, it's not rare. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, you can buy a whole box of them probably for the same amount of money. He bought those three out of a vending machine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's like four bucks for a box of like eight of them. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was funny. He's like, holy shit. Uncrustables. <laughs> Dude, for real, Uncrustables are, are a way of life though. Cause when I worked at Levi's, they had Uncrustables in the machine. Mm-hmm. And we used to ball out of control on Uncrustables, and like uh, we had this one, uh, this one other assistant manager, and he was vegan, so he would always get Uncrustables, and like when I closed, I would always get Uncrustables and a YooHoo. That's right, oh. eating like a six-year-old. <laughs> and uh, we were tight with the vending machine guy, so the vending machine guy came one day, and me and John were in there like, "Yo, next time you come." You're putting in two rows of Uncrustables because <laughs> we always run out of them before you come back. Put in two rows of Uncrustables. And the guy did it. And we were like, yes. And we were just cleaning them out of Uncrustables. We used to we used to be if we were working together and like, let's say someone's in the office, like counting the register, like pop open the door. Be like, yo, John, just throw an Uncrustable and be like fucking sick. <laughs> you're getting way too hyped on Uncrustables. Like that was like. We were like, yo, homie, like, you have a good night. Like, hand him an Uncrustable. <laughs> you just go to, like, dab him up. But then when you when you lock hands, you just leave the Uncrustable behind. Like, it's a drug deal. <laughs> yeah. Yo, for real. It was like that. It was like that, though. <laughs> My, uh, not not to get too sidetracked on just vending machine stories, but I, my, my uh. <laughs> It relates to the Matrix, the machines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, not not the not my current job. The job I was working like maybe two or three years ago. At this point, um, there was a vending machine in the lobby, and this one older guy that worked there would always get like three packs of peanuts from the vending machine a day. And there was this one day where he, he was standing behind the counter, um, looking into the lobby. And the guy was restocking the vending machine and he wanted to just like ask him like, Hey, 
can you like just hand, give me peanuts? Here's the money. And, uh, but the vending machine guy had like his AirPods in. And, uh, so this guy I was working with was behind the counter and he's like, Hey guy. And the guy like, didn't do like say anything. And he was like, Hey guy. And then the guy still didn't like hear him. And then he's like, he's like, Hey guy. And then the guy didn't turn around and just goes, Oh, fuck it. <laughs> they just, they just walked away. But it's like, you're, you're getting out of control over just some peanuts from the vending machine. <laughs> just yelled, yelled, fuck it. Hey, guy, give me those nuts, bro. Yeah. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> we were losing it. <laughs> what, a, what a weirdo. Also, just go buy a bag of nuts that you bring to work with you. It's cheaper. What is it with you people buying stuff from vending machines all the time? <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yes. Keanu Reeves would never use a vending machine. He's better than that. Yeah. It's true. It's true. That's what we're getting into. <laughs> we're going to watch the Matrix Uncrustables trailer. <laughs> One crust makes you get dry mouth. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about. <clears throat> I don't. I don't like that song. <laughs> it's pretty on the nose. It's pretty on the nose. You want to just watch yes. the trailer, then we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah, we should. We're taking way too long to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas, you seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. Ooh. Have we met? It's John Wick. I think it's a shared universe. <laughs> Ivy. still fighting and why you will never give up you don't know me no questions yeah we got young morpheus now yeah there's so many questions about this I think he's confirmed as young, young Morbius. Yeah. Or Morpheus. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't like that. The scream thing. Yeah.
after all these years, to be going back to where it all started. Back to the Matrix. Like what? Yeah, boy. Yeah. A lot of questions. A lot of questions. It looks like he's reinserted into the Matrix. So, um, this, I think I had talked to you about this off mic, like, a month ago or so, like after this came out, but uh, when the matrix online came out, the Wachowskis had said that they wanted the matrix online to actually be Canon and the matrix online takes place post um, revolutions and at, you know, I guess spoilers for revolutions, but uh, Neo basically dies um, and the machines take his body. And in Online, basically, um, Morpheus has been asking the machines, basically, like, return his body to Zion, and the machines won't do it, and Morpheus ends up starting to, uh, I think he's doing, like, EMP, like, bombings and stuff like that as, like, retribution, but I'm pretty sure that at some point they reset Morpheus, but they never say anything about Neo's body. It could just be that Neo actually never died, but they removed him from like they put him back in the matrix and that would kind of line up with what we're seeing in the trailer, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of cool that, that they're like sticking to that. Like, yeah, the, the video game is Canon, um, but there's just, I don't really have many concerns so much about like what the story is. My concerns come mainly from some of the, what we're seeing for the action scenes and stuff. Yeah, because I think we had talked about this a while ago, like how, uh, you know, a Matrix movie with like updated CGI would like be really cool because if you go back and watch like the original movie, the original movie is great, but some of the effects are dated. Yeah, but this looks more so like they're going heavy on CGI action scenes rather than like choreography and like. Um, wire work and stuff like that and that's my concern because I remember like yeah they're CGI in the the original Matrix movies but so many of those uh, like the action scenes that people remember the ones like where there's really awesome like fight scenes like in probably the best scene in Reloaded is the hand to hand combat fight scenes with the twins and then in the uh, in the um, it's like that ballroom or whatever like, I think the moments that people remember, like the bullet time stuff where that's all like real, where they just use multiple cameras and it was like groundbreaking technology. I just hope that they don't lose sight of what like what makes the Matrix great. And that's like the story, the concept, and then also just having a lot of things in frame and really good fight scenes. I don't want it to be a CGI fest. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to tell always from like these trailers because maybe they're just showing like the big CGI moments in the trailer. But like. I mean, it's probably going to be a long movie. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised if this movie was over two hours because a lot of movies are now. But um, I would hope if you have Keanu and you have the Wachowskis, or I guess just Lana Wachowski, are they they both involved? No. No, the the other one had said that they... I'm I'm blanking on on her name, but... um, 
the the other Wachowski had uh, basically just said that they because they've transitioned and mm-hmm. they said that they felt that if she had gone back and done the Matrix, it would have been almost like revisiting a previous point in her life when she wasn't herself. And mm-hmm. um, I guess she just like didn't feel like it would uh, it would like fulfill her at all and be almost like a step back in life. So only Lana Wachowski is directing this one. Um, OK. At least, at least they're still involved, so. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing, too. The Matrix, as a whole, not not very good. Like, I feel like the, the two sequel movies really tarnished the legacy that the first one could have just held if it, w- if it was its own, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that first Matrix movie was such, a, like, a phenomenon when it happened, and it, it was like a game-changer, and it set a style for like every action movie to come out after it. Mm-hmm. Like the entire look and feel of the two thousands is because of the matrix, that dark leathery trench coats and things. You think like underworld resident evil, all of these things would not have happened if it wasn't for what the matrix did. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the matrix influenced so much stuff and to what you're saying with the sequels, I think reloaded has redeeming qualities, but that third one is awful. And like, I think we may have also mentioned this on the pod, but my biggest reservation with the movie is, you know, it's great that the Wachowskis or Lana Wachowski is back doing this like that in some ways is like, okay, you have someone working on it that knows the movie, but at the same time you're like, yeah, but you also have someone who's working on it that like royally fucked up the, the last two movies. Um, and I'm pretty right. sure that uh, she's both the writer and director on it. So I I'm hoping that the reason they're doing this is because they had a really great idea for it and not because Keanu Reeves is Keanu Reeves right now. And they're just like, we got to capitalize on this. I've, I've kind of gotten a little jaded on the idea of like, Oh, if they're bringing this property back, it's because they have a really good idea because I felt that on multiple movies over the years. One that comes to mind was jigsaw. I was like, Uh, they're bringing saw back after like seven, 10 years, whatever it is. Like they got to have a banger of an idea. And I watched, I was like, this is terrible. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm excited for it for sure. And I'm gonna see it. I just I'm very skeptical, I guess. I think it's a good way to go about it. Now mm-hmm. I have a Christmas tradition of going to the movies every Christmas. And mm-hmm. uh actually someone who listens to the show, my buddy Tom, is usually in town for Christmas. And me and him have gone. We've seen like a bunch, like the Hobbit movies and stuff. And we went to see Wonder Woman eighty four um, last year. And I talked about this with Meg because I don't have Logan on Christmas. So me and her okay. are going to be hanging out. And I was like, we should go to the movies. She's like, I've never gone to the movies on Christmas. I'm like, it's amazing. Nobody's there. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> it's actually not even true. Usually, there's a good amount of people there. I'm, I'm surprised, but. Um, I love doing it. So real quick, I'm just going to throw down the gauntlet to Tom if he's listening, which I think he is. But Tom, if you're listening uh, this year, we should go see the Matrix on Christmas. Yeah. That's the game. Yeah, it's coming out three days before Christmas. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. This is our Christmas movie. I'm throwing it down now. I could have just texted him about it, but <laughs> <laughs> this is way more long. Hopefully form. he hears this. <laughs> yeah. We'll send it out there. Yeah, you'll be like in the theater and you'll be like, where is he? Yeah. And you're like, where are you, bro? And he's like, 
What are you talking about? Didn't you listen to the Dune episode? We made plans. Yeah, we made plans, man. Where are you? <laughs> I'm sure he's going to listen to this because uh, he as well, me too, bunch of us uh, have a long history with the film Dune, uh, more specifically the David Lynch Dune. So we used to watch it at our friend Jason's all the time. We would just go to his house and we'd be like trying to figure out what to do, finding a party to crash or whatever. We literally just like sit at Jason's house and just like watch Dune <laughs> and eat snacks and pizza and stuff. Yeah. And then finally like go out and find a party or go to the bars or watch Dune again or just watch Dune again. No, it's, the, the rotation was always like Dune, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Liar Liar. Oh, dude. Oh, the, and Tremors. Tremors was a big one. Mm. It's so weird that you mentioned Mrs. Doubtfire because um, less than a week ago, me and Brianna and all of like the other like neuro residents went to trivia and I got a question right specifically because of Mrs. Doubtfire. Nice. Yeah. It was funny. I actually, I think I got the most questions right. And it was because there was like a Black Panther question, a uh, Marvel Comics question, a Star Wars question, a Star Trek question. And then the one that like I got only because I had seen Mrs. Doubtfire. Another question because I knew I had seen I Love You, Man. Like basically I was like, I was like, I think I know this one. There's this one line and I love you, man. <laughs> and then, then I was just like, <laughs> so I was like, it said to Ryan like a day later, I was like, I should have like, I'm with doctors. Why am I getting the most questions? Right. This is, this is Dude, bad. I love trivia nights. You remember we cleaned house at a trivia night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always a good time. Did we win that night? Yeah, we won. Yeah. So I've won twice in my life. When was that night? And then I won at uh do you know tapped in Middletown? Yeah. I won. I won there and there they give you like a $50 gift card. And they were like, oh, here's a gift card. Like, come back and, like, try our brunch. We're serving brunch. So we're like, oh, cool. So me and Brianna went back and got brunch. And it was the worst brunch I've ever had in my life. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah. Do you got anything else on the Matrix? Or do you want to get into the Dune? Oh, I want to get her Dune. <laughs> There's a lot of screaming in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so much we have to get into, though. So, yeah, let's talk Dune. Finally, Dune. Yeah. Oh man, well Dune, it's been been a long time coming. Um Denis Villeneuve, I think I've said it on the pod before. He's probably my favorite director. He's the director on this. He's also a writer on this movie. Uh John Spates, he's one of the other writers on the movie. His track record is mixed, but he did write Prometheus and Doctor Strange, two movies that I know you love. And then Nice. Eric Roth is the other writer and Eric Roth's writing career is baller. Because he wrote Forrest Gump and A Star is Born and Benjamin Button. And uh, I'm just like, man, what a what an awesome... Because Denis Villeneuve is pretty much like the guru of Dune <laughs> after listening to yeah. all these interviews with him. So it's like you have this guy who knows the property inside and out. And then you have someone else who's just like an insanely awesome writer, like writing Oscar like nominated movies. And then the other person is someone who's done like two movies that have really awesome CGI one in particular that involves like, you know, sci-fi planets and really good, uh, you know, world building. So I think the team of writers on this movie is, is perfect. And then as far as your cast, it's insane. Tim, Timothee Chalamet 
I love I love him. <laughs> He's Paul Atreides. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is Lady Jessica. Uh, Oscar Isaac is the Duke. Uh, Zendaya is in it. There's been talking about like why isn't she in it more, um, but like it didn't bother me, and we'll get to why it didn't bother me. Uh, she's Chani. Jason Momoa is Duncan Idaho. Stellan Skarsgård is Baron Harkonnen. Uh, Josh Brolin is Gurney. Javier Bardem is Stilgar. Sharon Duncan Brewster is uh, Dr. Kynes. Uh, I could keep going. Dave Bautista is in here. Uh, David Dasmalshin is, is Piter. And uh, yeah, it just goes. The cast is fucking stacked. That was part of the reason why I was like so excited for it. Not only was it Denevil and New Dune Dune, but just so many people that I love. And one thing I, I kind of wanted to start here a little bit. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned that David Lynch Dune. Yeah. And that movie, I think, has a following behind it. Like, I think people after the fact watch it and like maybe they lo- love it just because it's Dune or they love the campiness of it and stuff. But I don't think if you're like a huge Dune fan, that's like the Dune movie that you want. Like, I don't think that's the Dune movie you envisioned. Yeah. And this also kind of ties a little bit into uh, Yadorowski's Dune which I think we'll probably talk about at some point in here. But as far as this movie goes, I really don't think Dune fans could have gotten a better movie. Like, I think this is so true to the source material and so like just perfect in terms of doing the world building justice that after seeing this, I was like, I don't, I really don't think anyone could have done a better job with this. And especially for a movie that's considered unfilmable. He just crushed this so hard. Uh, Dude, the scenes... Like, so some from what I was like reading and everything. So I'm like, let me read at least most of this before the movie comes out. I know it's only going to be about half the book. And, you know, after seeing the movie, I'm like, this might be less than half the book. But this movie is like literally just like the pages coming to life, Mm -hmm. which is like a cliche thing. But like scenes like dialogue is pulled from the book, like scenes. It's so so exactly how I would picture it from the book and then reading it after seeing it I can see those characters like they did such a good job with the characterization in the movie and having all of those characters and only having short amounts of time with them but really translating like what they're all about in their brief scenes that when I read it in the book even if I'm reading portions that I haven't seen yet unfold on screen I can picture the actors in those moments perfectly because they did such a good job uh, encapsulating their personas on screen Mm -hmm. yeah I I completely agree where do you want to where do you want to start with this because we got it out of the way that I think if you're a fan of the source material you're gonna love this but as a movie as a whole I think maybe we should get into that and what we think about it um is there yeah a, well maybe we sh- we should start breaking down some like the technical aspects and stuff that way it's not spoilery because I feel like once we start talking about characters and story we're gonna want to spoil stuff yeah um I mean right out of the gate you have like the the quote in like that Sardukar like throat singing like yeah way of speak and it's like as soon as that like your fucking titties are rumbling in the theater <laughs> when that voice comes in, you know? Yeah. And there's so many cool things that this movie does with sound design mm. 
And uh, there's so many things I could talk about all at once. But yeah, like the sound in this movie is incredible. One of the reasons why it's like must see for a big screen, uh, like really fucking feel this movie. Like it is so big and encapsulating, like both, both the sound in the movie and the score and the way that it just like fucking pulls you into the world. Mm-hmm. This, this, the sound is fucking incredible in this movie that it like really helps transport you to this world this is you know i feel like there's been a bunch of movies that have come out since the pandemic that have also gone streaming and stuff and um i think there's a there's a group of people that are like oh it's it's streaming i'll just watch it at home like i don't know if i need to really experience it in the theater this movie a hundred percent like probably over the last two years there's been two movies that I'm like, you have to see it in a theater. Like that's the only way to watch it. And it's this and Tenet. And like, there's other movies, but like this movie is made only for the big screen. Like, I I mean, obviously I'm going to watch it at home and love it and stuff like that. But the in theater experience, like you were talking about with the sound and the music and the, the visuals and everything, there's nothing else like it. Like, honestly, like I, we left the theater and I was just like, that was wild. I, I loved it. And I like went back and saw it almost immediately. I've realized this about it. There's a lot of people who watch it at home that don't nearly like it as much. And one, probably they weren't paying attention because they're on their phone and they're at home. Yep. And that's, that's their own fucking fault and they're stupid. But two, like <laughs> just so much of the experience of the movie is like the spectacle of it. And it's not all spectacle. For sure. There's there's so much to this movie, but um, unlike most movies that are coming out, this is one where it's like almost an event or an, like this is an experience to go see it in the theater. And it really bummed me out that people were like able to watch it at home. And I talked to you about this. Yeah. Jason Momoa had said, actually, there's like a six hour cut of this movie somewhere. So I was like saying to you, like what they should have done is released it only in theaters. And like a month later, put the director's cut on HBO. Like that's the smart thing to do. But, uh, it's just, it's such a bummer that it went to streaming because I feel like there are a lot of people who maybe missed out on watching something that was just so elevated compared to everything else. Like I can't speak enough of how like affected I was by how like great the in theater experience was to this movie. Yeah, dude. Like this is this is like such a good example of why like you can't let movie theaters go away. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is what it's all about, man. Like working on such a high scale, but also like it being an action movie and sci-fi and being this big and everything, but still holding on to like not being just some dumb popcorn flick like it's I mean, it's very dense. I can see people being confused and lost if you are not submerging yourself. I think it's an easy enough movie to follow if you are giving it the attention that it deserves. Mm-hmm. But the movie does not slow down. It does not hold your hands. And I guess you can make an argument that it does slow down because it's so it is long. And like there are I can see people being like, I don't get it. It's boring, like in certain parts of it. But there's such like a, a depth of like information that you need. And you need to understand before continuing that mm-hmm. like, I, I didn't feel like the pacing was bad at this at all. Actually at the end of the movie, Meg and I looked at each other and went like, 
that was two and a half hours of movie. Like <laughs> I could have sat here for another hour. Yeah. Easily. And I felt like it flew by that when the ending came, I was just like, there's no way. Like I, there's still gotta be like at least another 40 minutes of this. Right. Like in the best way. <laughs> I wish there was another 40 minutes. Yeah. I completely agree. It's actually funny. Cause uh, you know, I saw last night in Soho last night and this isn't like spoiling my feelings on the movie, but I feel like there are parts in that movie that are a little bit weaker maybe. And they, they slow down. I I feel like people, um, misinterpret like, Oh, the movie like got boring because it was slow. But like for me, the pacing of this movie is perfect because the world is so dense and most of the first hour, you know, it's two and a half hours. I would say most of the first hour is a lot of world building, a lot of, a lot of talking, but you know, you're given these moments in there that like, yeah, there's nothing exploding or anything, but like, you know, the, the part towards the beginning where, um, like the Herald of the change comes with, uh, you know, like parts of the spacing guild and stuff, the size of that ship and like the shots you're getting are just like, holy shit, this is awesome. And yeah. I was never bored. Um, even the slow moments, I was like, I am completely in awe of like what I'm seeing. This is so cool. And I feel like a lesser movie or a lesser filmmaker probably would have been like, let's go heavy on like the CGI and like the planes and the ships and stuff like that. But most of the scenes in this movie, even when they are building the world, they're also building the characters. And I think that actually is a little bit of a shift from the book to the movie and that Denis Villeneuve decided to focus more on the characters. Yeah. And because I think sometimes the book gets a little bit bogged down with like the politics of the worlds and um, and what certain things are and all that. Whereas this is really like a coming of age story and like a family story. Yeah. And, you know, the first like I was saying, going back to the pacing, the first hour is, you know, there's not a ton happening that I. I think a casual movie goer would be like, come on, when's something going to happen? But all of that time is to get you to care about the characters, learn the world. And then shit goes off. Like this is the most action Denis Villeneuve's ever had in a movie. And the last like hour and a half of this movie is pretty much just nonstop epicness. Yeah. And I loved it. And because they had done such a good job setting up characters, you actually give a shit. So for me, I, I completely disagree with anyone saying that this is boring or like the pacing's off and stuff. I think this does exactly what it needs to do. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, like I said, I think I think that anybody who says that it's either hard to follow or the pacing is odd or whatever, it's probably because you're watching at home and probably because you're distracted by other things. But I think if you give this movie its full attention, then it. It's going to fucking blow your dick off mm-hmm. as, as it should, <laughs> as it should. Now you mentioned like the, the ships coming down, like with the, the change coming and all that dude, the scale and scope in this fucking movie and all of his movies. Cause you see it in arrival too, especially Blade Runner 2049. Like these scenes where you just have like a person on like whatever, on like a flat plane and you just have these massive fucking buildings to the sides of them or sculptures or whatever the case may be this movie too, like making the world feel so huge and so vast and like just these big open rooms and these wide shots. And this is this movie looked incredible, not even CG CGI unrelated, 
the cinematography in this film is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a couple things that he does extremely well. And I also just in general, I, I love watching the career trajectory of Denis Villeneuve. Cause it's like, he started off doing, you know, very low budget, but awesome, you know, kind of indie movies like in, incendies and enemy and stuff like that. Um, but then you start to see him slowly do more and more into kind of like these, like not, I wouldn't say they're action movies, but movies that just have more of a spectacle to them, like starting with Sicario and then like the intensity of prisoners. And then you get to arrival. And that's like the first like thing where he extensively needs to like work on CGI. Yeah. And then Blade Runner after that, like, I feel like Blade Runner was such a perfect movie for him to do prior to doing Dune. Because that's another movie where the world building is is amazing. And going into this, I think he learned everything from those previous experiences. And the thing that I noticed that is just, I think it's really what makes every scene click. And this kind of branches out into everything, like into the sound and stuff. But um, he is so good at making people believe that this is a real place. And there's kind of like a science behind that with like, you have to put real things in the scene to trick the brain into being able to suspend your disbelief. And when it comes to the scale of the movie, there's these crazy shots of giant ships, giant, like, you know, planet landscapes and stuff, but you are hard pressed to find one of those scenes where there's not a person in it to show you the scale of what the thing is. Right. And, you know, I actually had it on last night and, um, the scene where they're flying over the shield wall in or on Arrakis, mm-hmm. it's a big landscape shot. But even in that shot, if you look at the mountains, there's tiny people in there. And I think there's just, just a very conscious, uh, you know, decision to make sure that it's like, we're always going to have something in every shot that is like a tangible, real thing that people can see. And their brain will tell them like how big this actually is. Right. And yeah, it's, Really cool filmmaking, but also just it's hard for me to think of a movie that, you know, at least recently that I just felt like you created something that is not real, but like, holy shit, it looks real. <laughs> you know, it's I think the best example of this in the movie. I call it the Russian dolling of scale. And it's the perfect like I can see this being like studied in like film classes and be like, Hey, do you want to like show scale and like perspective and stuff and like have your audience understand the scope of like certain creatures or aspects of your world building is the scene when the first time you see the, the sandworm, the, the Shai Halud and it takes the mm-hmm. uh, spice mining craft because yeah. they're in the ornithopter, right? They land, you got humans next to the ornithopter. Okay. That's big. Then you see, Cause like you're flying over, it's kind of hard to tell how big it is, but then you see how big this rig is next to the ornithopter and then next to the people who are running. Mm-hmm. So now you have, you understand the size of your, of your ornithopter. Now you understand that this rig is fucking gigantic. It's like a fucking city on wheels in comparison to the humans and the thopter that, that landed. And then the fucking floor of the, of the desert opens up. And you see that that giant rig, that massive rig that's like the size of fucking multiple buildings stacked on each other in comparison to these other things, gets swallowed like a little fucking pea 
Like it doesn't even, <laughs> it doesn't even take up like an eighth of the size of the mouth of the fucking Shai Halud that comes and swallows it whole. So it's just one thing after another showing you like, like, all right, this is a human. This is the fucking helicopter thingy that he's in. That's how big that is. Look how fucking big this rig is. And now that you think that is massive, we make it look like a fucking pea in comparison to this fucking beast in the desert. And just just to set it up in your head, like, that's how fucking big these worms are. Mm-hmm. I think that is brilliant. And it happens so fast. In a matter of, like, five minutes, all of those things are placed in the viewer's mind and and you can start to understand the magnitude of this and the size of this thing. Mm-hmm. But going back into like just the tricks and stuff to to trick the mind into believing it's real and stuff. Like I don't know if you've watched it. There's a video on YouTube about the the design, the sound design for this movie. Did you watch that? I don't think so. It's really cool. You should check it out. But they they say even in that they're like, yeah, like a lot of the design in the movie came from the sound design and I guess they had said like similar to CGI they didn't want to use electronic sounds for this they were like we need to use like all real sounds and an example they gave because they said you know if you're using an electronic sound the brain can tell it that's a sound that came from a computer but you might not even know what we're pulling from but if we use a real sound it makes your brain feel or think that that thing is real. And they said, just as an example that the ornithopters, the sound that the ornithopters make, um, they put beetles in like a container basically. And they captured the sound of beetles flying. Wow. So that the sound of the helicopters is a real sound from a real thing. And, you know, going off of that, Timothy Chalamet said that this entire movie, he and which again, apparently there's a six hour cut of this thing. He said that he shot two scenes on a green screen out of the entire movie. Wow. And you see these like landscapes and stuff. and You're like, holy shit, that's like awesome. How they designed that. But Arrakis was filmed in Jordan and Caledon was filmed in Norway. And they're like real places. Actually, um, the area that they filmed um, the scenes for Arrakis is the same desert that Star Wars shot. Um the Jakku scenes for episode seven. Interesting. But they used real places and just enhanced those places with CGI when, you know, they needed to. And do you know how much this movie costs? Oh, is it like 40 million or something around there? Oh no, no. This movie, when I saw it, I expected this movie to be like, like 200 million plus like, yeah, you know, and end game had everybody in it, but end game was a $300 million movie. Um, and like Justice League mainly because of reshoots was a $400 million movie. Um, I just watched No Time to Die. No Time to Die, I'm pretty sure, cost $200 million. Um, this movie cost $160 million And nice. I think it's better looking than all of those movies. Oh, yeah. It just goes to show you with, you know, with certain tricks and knowing what to do and not being like essentially like a phony like Zack Snyder is where it's just like everything needs to be CGI slow-mo everything you can you can really stretch your budget and make something look fucking amazing yeah just film it fucking film it (laughs) yeah don't make an animated movie fucking film it but I think that's what I think that's what makes Lord of the Rings so great too is having having this fantasy Mm -hmm. world but it exists on a real plane and like not everything feels 
CGI'd and like it, it can't exist on our planet. Like, you know, the shot in New Zealand, like it exists on this planet. Like obviously like certain aspects of it are exaggerated. Maybe some like mountain ranges and things like that. Um, they do some touching up with CGI and then they add in whatever they need. But for the most part, it, it looks and feels real because it is real. Like you're just filming in the woods, you're filming in the desert, whatever it is. And yeah, like why not? Like it's out there. Why not? Like, why wouldn't you do that? Like Mm -hmm. so good. And you know, making it feel real while also still being able to transport you to like a whole nother world make you feel like you're on a different planet. Uh, they did such a fucking good job. I mean, the world building is no surprise that they fucking crushed it. And that's a challenge in itself just because there's so much depth to the world in the book that, yeah, obviously there's a ton of stuff that has not been talked about. There's some things that they glazed over. There's characters who didn't get a, a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that stuff he had already addressed and been like, that's what I want to do with like, you know, part two. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some changes that needed to be made, but even still like as I think a fan of the book would be still happy with those changes because this was done so well Mm -hmm. that even though some things were left off or some things were changed with like how they play out that it's, it's non-consequential in the end to what the story is really about. And I do want to talk about some of that, of what the story is really about, because I've seen things, two different quote unquote controversies, not really controversies, but complaints of idiots online. One is the Zendaya stuff. Mm -hmm. Because if you're complaining like, Oh, she's barely in the movie. Guess what? She shouldn't be in the movie anyways. You're lucky you got her at all because her character doesn't even show up in the book until you're almost like 400 pages in. Yeah. In a 600 page book. So she she was never a part of part one of the book. She's I understand why she was moved up for this movie. Totally makes sense. I get it. But that's why. So people who are like, oh, she's not in it enough, but this is bullshit. It's like, we get it. You love her. She's amazing. She's great. That is not wrong. But like, they didn't screw her out of it. It's not like, uh, it's not like in some of these movies where you see like, uh, women are cast in roles and then they get cut down to like nothing and like 15 minutes of screen time. Like, mm-hmm. yes, she's not in it a lot, but that is accurate. That is true. Look to the book. It's not like she was like, in it more and she got cut out of the fucking movie like that's what it's supposed to be so shut the fuck up about that I don't want to hear that anymore there's not a good reason to to take away points from this movie that's the um that's like the overwhelming thing that I keep hearing and I I keep saying to people I've had this conversation with a few people actually they're just like why wasn't Zendaya in it more like it's bullshit and I was like well one I'm very surprised by the outrage of how little she was in it, considering everyone knew that she wasn't going to be in it. Like Dune is such yeah. a, uh, like a well-known book. Like maybe not everyone has read it, but there, there are enough things online. Any movie news outlet should have like probably said that already. I, I feel like I knew that going into the movie before I even read the book. And yeah. And it was just like, she's probably not going to be in this movie much, but she's going to be in the next movie a lot. So she'll get her time. But also like, I don't want to hear that this movie is like 
an injustice to like to like female you know actors or actresses or whatever but like because i actually think this movie takes on um i'm not sure how i want to say this but like i think compared to the book this movie gives women a much bigger voice and i was gonna say there's literally yeah (laughs) yeah i was gonna say (laughs) that i think i think there's some choices that they made that i think were were very smart on geneva lanou's part and also just, you know, a little progressive and stuff like um, like the Dr. Kynes character is a man in the book and they they made her a female for this. And and he had said in an interview, like, you know, it didn't matter if she was a man or, or a female, like we're casting that that character's main like purpose is because they are tied to the entire world. And that character like is not defined by their gender. And yeah, we really wanted to just cast, you know, more female. We wanted this to be a little bit more of like a female centric movie in some ways, because uh, like even Rebecca Ferguson is almost like a co-lead, like obviously like yeah. Paul Atreides is the main character, but the main part of the movie is, you know, the family dynamic between Paul, his mom and his dad. And I would say, you know, early on in the movie, just by circumstance, uh, there's a lot more of Paul and his dad, but by the end of the movie, you realize this is like like a mother son type story, and they're doing a they want to expand on like her character. I don't know, not necessarily her character, because I'm not sure if Rebecca Ferguson is, is going to be in it, but they want to do an entire Bene Gesserit show. Um, so like I don't want to hear anything where it's like oh the female characters got screwed out of it because I think compared to the book, they they really you know went the extra limit to be like let's make sure that there's you know a strong female presence in this movie even like the strength and like the power of the voice in the movie when paul uses it the the voices that are speaking with him are women Mm -hmm. because it's 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 like he's channeling like the powers of like other like past like benny jesseret women and they control they truly are controlling everything anyways like Mm -hmm. they are the real rulers of this fucking world yeah so like that message in there and you know the whole thing about them not wanting like she was supposed to give birth to to only girls like not supposed to have a son like men are not looked at as the answers to this it's like let them have like their their bravado and whatnot but like the women are actually running everything yeah and that's a through line through the i feel like the movie and the book but Something else that I want to talk about thematically that I see people bitching about, and I would hope our listeners are better than this, but, you know, if you Swampies are out there and you ever hear anybody talk shit about Dune, um, hit them with this little bit of knowledge, especially if this is their argument. The white savior trope. I've seen people talk about this a couple of times being like, oh, Dune, it's just like another white savior, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? Yeah, it is, you fucking idiot. The story is about not following idealistic leaders and not getting trapped in that, like, savior complex. Like, how dangerous it is to follow charismatic men into battle, into war, and, like, all of this stuff. Like, the whole whole story of Dune is about why that is bad. So... Is Paul a quote-unquote white savior? Yeah, but he's supposed that that's what the fucking that's what it's about. It's it's warning you about that, and like these characters have flaws, and we'll see more of that 
later for sure in in part two but like yeah for people to use it as an argument for like why like that's bad when the movie is also saying that's bad just means you're stupid you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i was because they're just basically like these people are like ew so what he like the white man comes to the planet and saves the natives or whatever that's a white savior and the movie's just like, yeah, he's a white savior. Isn't that bad? Like, we're both, we're actually agreeing. It's just you think that the movie is saying white savior good when it's not. So if you just fucking paid attention and knew what the fuck you were talking about, you would realize that there actually isn't a problem with it. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, you know, it is apparent in this movie more subtly because I think it'll be a bigger point in the sequel in part two. but. A lot of Dune is about like cult, like different cultures and like the relationships between them and like unifying cultures. And like you do see that with, um, you know, some scenes with the Duke trying to gain the trust of the Fremen and stuff like that. But it, it does play a bigger role, you know, going forward. A lot of it is, you know, Paul's, you know, relationship with the Fremen and learning their culture and stuff like that later on. And so a lot of the, I think a lot of the criticisms that I'm seeing are people that either didn't get it or maybe they were just looking for stuff because they know this movie's really popular. Yeah. Yeah. People fishing fucking idiots. I, I will not stand for any of the, those two criticisms, the Zendaya thing or the white savior thing. Yeah. If you knew what you were talking about, you would see that you don't have a fucking leg to stand on with that argument. I don't even know if you have any negatives on the movie or not, but like for me, I kind of don't my, my main, like if I had to really fish for a negative on the movie and again, it would, I'm fishing here. I think my only negative would be on a few minor occasions here and there. Maybe there's a little overacting that that's it. You talk about gurney. Yeah, I think I think Gurney overacts like in the one scene where he's talking to Paul. Um, They're brutal. Yeah, like that part, and then uh, maybe Batista a, t- a tiny bit when he uh, when he's screaming at the at uh, Baron. But like, really, like I don't. I th- actually think the acting is strong on it. Like I said, I'm fishing a little bit because there are a couple scenes in the movie in particular that I'm like, wow, that acting is fucking top notch. Like. On a on a couple occasions, there's some scenes where like actors are asked to like multitask emotions at the same time. Uh, one that comes to mind is uh, when not, there's a part I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a part where the Duke is kind of frozen. Ah, uh, yes, and and he and he has an expression on his face, but at the same time he sheds a tear. I was like Oscar Isaac, you fucking madman, you're so good. <laughs> and then yeah. and then the part with the box that was in the trailer, um, when that test, oh, the gum Jabbar, when that ends and Timothy Chalamet, like you can see the emotions like run through him, like multiple at the same time, like pain, anger, then like pride basically in the same like moment. And, uh, I'm just like, damn this fucking kid, man. He's, he's amazing. I can't, I can't get enough yeah. of Timothy, Timothy, Yeah. Um, but that's really like, you know, you were talking about people trying to find negatives. That's the only negative that I can find really on the movie. And I've, I've seen other people saying like, Oh, it's incomplete. And I think the, there's a challenge 
whenever you're going to split a movie into two parts, because, because I feel like, you know, a book like a movie still goes through different acts and stuff. And if you're splitting the book in half, then you have to try and find a, a part in that book that could be a satisfying ending. And I think, you know, as complex as this movie is, I think they found a really good spot to end it. Cause I think it's, it's an ending that maybe is like kind of a down note, but in some ways also uplifting. And I've seen, we'll, we'll bring it back to this. We've mentioned already, but I've seen people mention Lord of the Rings in comparison to Dune. And I think there's a lot of similarities between the fellowship of the ring and this movie. And like, just in terms of the ending, I never heard anyone bitch about the ending to fellowship of the ring. Fellowship of the ring ends on a sour note, but also like the last couple lines are ones that leave you like hopeful. It's the same exact stuff here. And I don't, I don't get that criticism either where it's like, Oh, it's half the movie. Like there's no payoff. Like I think there is a payoff. I think, I think the payoff is like, you see what this kid could become and how he could unify people. And it ends there. And, uh, I mean, man, if I didn't leave the theater hyped as hell for part two, like I'd be lying. Oh, dude, dude, the hype is fucking real. And yeah, I mean, I think I think that that ending is great. And I think that in terms of like thematically, it's perfect because it signifies the death of his childhood and his youth and him, you know, transitioning into thinking like we're not going off world. Like this is where we are now, and I'm gonna we're gonna become, you know, part of these people and this planet. And he's like, if this is where I am, then this is, this is where I am, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that that scene at the end is is that symbol of him transitioning fully into whatever his future is in his manhood and taking control over what his path is going to be going forward and i think that that is a great place to fucking end it because you know you spent the whole movie with him it did feel like he landed in a different place than he was in the beginning of the movie where it's like he had a character arc and there's still so much for, for us to see from his character that the next movie he can have a different character arc like this was him you know being the boy Mm-hmm. you know training all of this stuff to like now you're you're the man like you are in charge like you all of this power and all of this responsibility that he has falls onto his lap so quickly and he comes to terms with it by the end like i think it's a great place to leave off like it, it's a perfect ending for the first half when it's not like you have like a massive war or something to like put an exclamation point on it you know yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you want to get into spoilers soon, but just one last thing that like is more on a technical level that we did mention this already, but I just wanted to highlight it because it is so good. When we did our Candyman episode, I was like, Candyman has the best score of the year. And then you're like, no, I've, I've heard the score for Dune already. And that's my favorite. And then I, I didn't listen to the score for Dune until I saw the movie. But now after watching Dune, this is the best score I've seen. <laughs> I've heard all year. Yeah, it's so good. It's fucking perfect. Han, Hans Zimmer just fucking going ape shit on it. So freaking good. And I've actually, now now that I've watched the movie, I occasionally I'll just put the Dune score on and just listen to it. <laughs> like while I'm working. I listen to it while I'm reading Dune. <laughs> yeah, you had said that. I think we could start getting to spoilers, but just like this movie is not going to be nominated for like best picture 
or anything like that. But I think this movie will be nominated and probably win a lot of Oscars. And I know that's not like the defining thing, but like in some ways, the Lord of the Rings trilogy at the end of it was kind of defined by the amount of Oscars it won. And I feel like this movie is getting a lot of talk. The amount of Oscars it gets nominated for is just going to generate more hype for the next one. And I think Denis New has said that he would potentially like to do Dune Messiah as a third one and make this a trilogy. Um, but I was just like, while watching this, I was like, I think this is nominated for best score. I think this is winning sound. I think yeah. this is nominated for cinematography. I think this, and I, it could win that. I think this is probably winning visuals. I think this could be nominated for adapted screenplay just because of how big of a task that was. And this might win costumes as well and probably production oh, design. Yeah. Like I could see this movie being nominated for like six or seven things and taking home a few of those. So like this isn't just us blowing our load because we love the book. Like this movie from a technical standpoint and from a narrative standpoint is brilliant. It's so good. Yeah. Denis Villeneuve continues to just like fuck me up. He's so good. I will say this, like, you know, I kind of felt like an ass, like people would be like, who's your favorite director? But like, it might be Denis Villeneuve, but people be like, really? Like he just started. But like, I was thinking about it in a five year span. He did enemy Sicario prisoners, arrival blade runner in only five. Yeah. yeah, Like that's fucking insane. And then it would have been shorter. Dune would have come out sooner if it wasn't for the pandemic. He might be the most consistent director of the 2010s. Cause he like yeah. this movie was supposed to come out then. And if you just think about it, like his body of work is all just like bangers and they all just keep getting better and better. And I thought about this also, like Zack Snyder, Michael Bay are like coined like visionaries. Fuck, fuck that noise. Cause they're not like Denis Villeneuve is a real visionary. Yeah. I don't feel like a, like an asshole saying that he actually is my favorite director now because he's done three of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time. And Prisoners is up there as well. It's not sci-fi, but like oh, prisoners is a top 10 of all time for me. I've realized. Yeah. Like four of his movies at least are like, would probably make like a top, like, like, I don't know, like 25 movies of all time for me. Uh, that's how much yeah. I, I like his stuff. So yeah, it's, it's insane how, how good and how consistently good he is. Like put him on anything. I will go see it. Yeah. Denis Villeneuve does the, the Barbie movie. I'm going to go see it. <laughs> um, you want to get into spoilers? Yeah, let's get into spoilers now. Duncan Idaho died. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> people, he, I saw a couple people that were like upset by like the Duncan Idaho like glow up. Not in terms of what he looks like, but like like the role that he plays in the movie. But I I really like what they did with his character actually because like we said earlier, this movie focuses more on like family dynamics and he's not part of the family, but also just like relationships. And I think Duncan Idaho and, and Paul have a, a very like kind of sweet, like relationship kind of brotherly. Yeah. Like he can go to him to talk to him about things that he feels like he can't talk to his parents about and stuff like that. And um, I think they don't, they don't really change anything with the character, like in terms of like what his purpose is within the movie. Like, you know, he has to right. go find the Fremen and build relationships there. And he ends up, you know, going out trying to save them. But 
I think the things that they added to him like really helped the, the story. So I saw a few people that were like, oh, that wasn't like the book. But I feel like that's a change that they made that helps the movie a lot more. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like um, showing his dynamic with Paul and him being tasked with finding the Fremen, which is what he was doing in the book. I think it helps solidify that story of Paul trusting the Fremen, understanding better their ways and things like that. Like the fact that this person that he mm-hmm. was close with was kind of like giving him tips on like, Oh yeah, like this is what they're about. And they use this for that. And like, it made sense to keep them kind of close to each other. You know, it's almost like having another, another teacher. Like he has all of these people Paul has all these people in his life who are, he's learning these lessons from, he's learning things from, he's got his, his mother helping him with his, his, uh, Bene Gesserit style, like training, um, his father kind of teaching him to how to be a strong leader. And you got Duncan Idaho who helps teach him like, you know, combat stuff, but also like more about, you know, as much as Duncan Idaho is a great warrior, he's also politicking. Like he is, you know, gaining the trust. He's learning about people. And I think one of the things that make the, the Atreides uh, admirable across the galaxy, and you see it more in the book, like this, this accent on the charm of the Atreides and like their, their honor and being so honorable, but honest in what they are, intending like yes they are politicking and they are politicians but they're not like shady or shitty Mm -hmm. to the people in any way yeah and like earlier in the movie i think it's one of the things and i think they did a great job showing it that turns kinds yeah and in the book like it's really cool reading that scene when um they go and they find the spice rig that's about to get swallowed by the worm and um Basically, he's just like, forget about the spice, like get the men out of there. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to Kynes and she's kind of like, huh? Yeah. And in the book, like it, there's a lot more inner inner dialogue with every character. Mm-hmm. But in the book, like it describes like that as like this turning point for Kynes. Like this Duke is about what he says he's about. Like he is not fake or dishonest in any way. And I think that all of these... Uh, figures in Paul's life inform different aspects of his personality and and different things that he's going to need to use by the end of the movie where increasing Duncan's presence in the movie I felt was like perfect to add another explanation as to why can Paul do this and that like why is he such a good fighter Mm -hmm. and everything so even though you don't see Paul fight too much you see the guy who trained Paul how to fight and he's fucking annihilating Sardaukar mm-hmm. by himself, who are hailed as like the the most fierce fighters in the universe. Yeah, and uh, and he's going toe to toe with them, taking them out like nine v one. And then later, when you see Paul whoop ass, it's just like, okay, cool, I get that. Yeah, you know, I, I said that to Brianna because Brianna was like, I don't know if uh, I don't know if I believe that Paul could have could have killed uh, Jarus, right? Is that his name? And yeah, uh, something like that. And I was like, well, you know, like y- you see Momoa just fucking wreck those people in that room. And also, um, Piter, when he's talking to, uh, th- that like commander for the Sardaukar, it's basically just like, 
the Harkonnens outnumber the Atreides. Like, why do you need us? And he's just like, yeah, they were trained by Duncan Idaho and Gurney Halleck, bro. Like, <laughs> they'll fuck us up. Yeah, the, yeah, even the Harkonnens know, like, they ain't got shit on those dudes. Yeah, I, I did want to say this, though. This isn't really a spoiler, but it, it does kind of bounce off what you were talking about with, um, with the Duke and stuff. I think a pitfall to a lot of movies that have a cast like this could be just, like, you have a ton of A-listers, but nobody really gets the time they deserve. And I feel like, I feel like yeah. almost like, obviously there, there's some that are on screens. We talked about Zendaya, uh, you know, Batista is really not on screen that much. Um, Stellan Skarsgård isn't on as much, but he makes, you know, he, he's definitely worth like the time that you see him. But, I, you know, I think most of the characters, you know, really get their time. And, Oscar Isaac isn't in the movie an absurd amount, but he's also not in the book a ton either. Like really the Dukes in the, maybe the first third of the book, first third of the book. And also a lot of the Duke is he's busy in most of the beginning. So even though he is around, he is not actively in scenes in the book. He's discussed and he's mentioned a lot, but he's at this outpost. He's here and here. He's prepping for them to go, and leave Caladan like he is a presence, but he's not present. Yeah, in most of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's scenes that they added for the movie that aren't in the book, like early on, and most of them are with the Duke. And I remember, like, I talked to Ryan about this afterwards, but I was just like, like every time Oscar Isaac the Duke was on screen, I was just like, this guy's the fucking man. I was like, he's just yeah. like the best. And, and I was just like, I know he's not in the book that much, but the moments that he was there really left an impression. I love the scene uh, where he's talking to Paul and he's basically just like, well, like, you know, even if you don't, you know, take up the mantle or whatever, like you'll still be the only thing that I ever wanted. And he's like my son or whatever. And I was just like, you're a good dude. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone really gets their moment. I think, like I said, Rebecca Ferguson's on screen a lot. Josh Brolin, maybe the Gurney character got cut down a little bit. He's probably in the book more than he is in the movie. Um, oh, I think he's going to be in the second movie a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think as far as like handling an ensemble cast, they did a great job of giving a lot of the people moments where they're going to leave an impression on you, even if they're not on screen a ton. And I think there's some people that, like we said, with Zendaya, with uh, Brolin and stuff like that, that they'll probably play bigger roles in the in the next one. And uh, so they'll get their time. And uh, also just really excited, like Javier Bardem is not in the movie a ton either. But every time Javier Bardem is in the movie, I'm like, oh, he's he's a really good Stilgar. Like, I can't wait to watch more of him in the next one. Oh, he's great. The scene where you meet him is amazing. And it's funny, too. Like. And, like, this movie doesn't have a lot of humor in it, but it doesn't feel, like, totally humorless, like, this world. Like, I, like, um, really love that scene when he walks in. And he's just... Because the Fremen are very just, like, black and white. Like, they don't... They don't really, like, joke around or, like, do things like that. But because they are so cold... They're kind of, like... Kind of like Drax. Drax is a little more silly, but like that way that Drax is super literal about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like the Fremen are like that as well, where like when they say something, like that is the meaning that they have. And like they don't, they're not necessarily like 
meaning to be cold, but like their directness is seen as coldness by other people. So like in the movie when he's just like, he's like, okay, I have nothing else to say to you people. Goodbye. <laughs> he's just like, I've said all I need to. Goodbye. Yeah. I did. I did want to ask you this. Um, Emperor is not in the movie. They don't, they don't show him. Um, yeah. He'll, he'll be in the next one. And I do like that. I do like kind of uh, like shrouding the mastermind behind this whole thing um, until like an, a you know a movie coming up. That's basically what they kind of did with the uh, with like Palpatine in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you just as like, do you, who would you cast as the Emperor? Do you do you have someone mm. in mind? I'll tell you who I have in mind. I I would like to see Mad Mickelson as the Emperor. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd think, be really cool. I think that would be, I think he's like the right age. I think he, his demeanor and his voice could like command a room. I think he'd be good at that. Um, I don't want to stay on this too long, but I was wondering if you had an idea of who would be a good casting choice for that character. Here's a couple casting options. I want Hugh Jackman as the emperor. Ooh. I want Jake Gyllenhaal as Fade Rautha. Oh man. I want who else? Who else can be in? Well, they're going to need the princess. She can be, yeah, who would, the, who would be a good princess? Somebody, somebody who's young ish, who can, who can play alongside Paul in a sensible way. Lily James looks young. Sarsha Ronan. Oh, there you go. Does they have great chemistry anyways? Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe an older emperor. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of him being like middle aged or looking similar in age to the Duke. Also, just be based on the world. Like, yeah, with Spice, he probably looks younger than he actually is age wise because you're given longer life with Spice. So mm -hmm. I don't know. That that was uh that was that. Yeah, Fade Roth is not also in the movie. Uh, for anyone who wanted to see Sting show up in the speedo again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sadly disappointed. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say spoilery or? Um, you know, I didn't take notes. I've seen this movie five times now and I've been reading the book. I didn't take notes because I was just like, there's so much to say and there's so much to talk about that I'll probably remember. I'm sure there are things that I am forgetting, but you know, maybe this will just end up becoming the topic of other episodes. Like our banter will just be like more <laughs> Dune stuff that we think of talk about after the fact. No, dude, I loved it so much. I had such a good time watching this. Obviously, I watched it so many times. Yeah, yeah. But if anybody wants to message us or message me and talk about Dune, like, I'm into it. If you have thoughts or questions or whatever, I want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And if I think of other thoughts and things I've had, I'll write them down and I'll, I'll talk about them on here again. But, yeah, this would be a movie I'd love to discuss with people. Yeah. This is, I, you know, after I watched the, watch this movie the first time, there's certain movies that like when we watch them and like I leave the theater, I'm just like, this is the reason why we have a podcast. Like these are the types of movies where like, I was like, I just need, well, like want to talk to people about it. And, uh, yeah, man, I was just like, God, God bless you. Denis Villeneuve, <laughs> you beautiful man. Yeah. Um, oh, we gotta get him on. Yeah. I guess, I guess the last thing that I, I kind of wanted to say that's like a little spoilery I think they do a really good job with this. And I, I had this thought of 
how movies get dinged like super heavily for exposition, but books really not so much because in a book you can, you're explaining the world and everything. And I was, I was thinking about this, like he did such a good job of giving you kind of a, you know, explaining the world to you mainly through visuals, letting, you know, your, your brain kind of put the things together with what you're seeing. But if there are things that are told, actually making them either organic conversations or things that play a bigger role, like what came to mind to me was the, the audio, um, I forget what they call them in the books, but there's the, like the visual books and, um, mm-hmm. and they kind of are like explaining a lot of like the, you know, customs on Arrakis and stuff and what to look out for. And he watches it once um, earlier in the movie when they talk about the Fremen and stuff, but then he uses the projection from the audiobook later on in the movie to shield himself from the hunter seeker. And yeah. I was like, that's, that's a really like smart way to be able to give the audience information, but then later on be like, see, it wasn't just an exposition dump. Like that thing that he was watching actually comes in handy in the narrative of the movie. And uh, the other thing, just I, my brother said this, Brandon went and saw it a few days after I saw it. And he was like, I love how they built like this really awesome nuanced world, but they didn't just tell it to you. Like you can tell there's things there and they'll probably explain it later or, or maybe not. Maybe they leave it the way it is and the viewer can, can do their own digging because the book's awesome and the world's awesome and people should look into it. But there, there are things in this movie that aren't explained. They, they may have been just mentioned for a second, but they don't tell you like, you see mentats and you see them, you know, do calculations in their head, uh, but they right, don't, they're not explained. It, yeah. It's not explained what that is or why they have mentats and you know, how computers are banned now. And uh, just, just stuff like that I think is really cool. Like they mentioned the spacing guild, but you never see uh, like a guild navigator. They don't tell you how spice affects space travel, like why they need spice to be able to, to leave, right. you know, different galaxies and stuff. So, I love that that's there. Like, I think some people would be like, oh, they didn't explain enough, but like you couldn't explain everything. And I think they, they showed you enough to let you piece it together, but also intrigue you enough to want to go and like, you know, read the book or do research and stuff. I know after I watched the movie, I watched like a whole like video on like just the spacing guild. <laughs> nice. Cause the spacing guild shown in David Lynch's, um, right. One, including a guild navigator, which, um, I'm, like I said, Denis Villeneuve said that he wants to do Dune Messiah if if he can do a third movie, and you'll definitely see them in there. I think it's cool that they they left things up, you know, for either future movies or for you to just find out on your own. And I don't know. All in all, they did a, a great job. And then going back, you know, talking about how good of a, a job he did, I did just want to say this. There's there's a documentary about a Dune film that was almost made in what the seventies. Yeah. Cause you had told me to watch this and it's called Yodorowsky's Dune. It's on Amazon. And basically it's this documentary about this Dune film that was almost made in the seventies uh, by this guy. And they said, if this movie had been made pretty much, there would have been like, there never would have been alien or blade runner or star Wars. Like it would have completely changed the landscape of sci-fi films and history. Yeah. And I was thinking about this, you know, watching the documentary and, I can prescribe to that idea that, you know, maybe certain things either wouldn't have come out or they would have come out. And maybe they weren't as big of a like cultural phenomenon, but I also listening to him talk, I don't know 
if that Dune film would have been this Dune film, like I don't, I don't think Dune no. fans would have gotten what they wanted still with that one. Like, I think maybe that movie would have been revolutionary in some ways, but listening to him talk, it sounded more like he wanted to do Dune because Dune was popular, not because he loved it. And when watching this movie, you can tell Denis Villeneuve is doing it because he loves this, this book and wants to do right by it. And yeah, Yadorowski said like, yeah, I was going to change the whole ending. Like I'm just going to do my own shit for it. And David Lynch kind of did the own like that as well. Cause I think pretty sure David Lynch didn't really like the source material. So like, even if that movie came out, I don't know if it would have been a movie where Dune fans would have been like, this is the Dune movie. Like I feel like Denis Villeneuve's Dune is the definitive Dune version. Yeah, for sure. Especially now, obviously, but yeah, I just, Oh, part two. So hyped, so hyped. Cause one of the things going into Dune one was just like, it has to be good, right? There's no way it's going to be bad. Like mm-hmm. how could it like, I have so much faith in him, but now, especially seeing what he did with this one and knowing that the studio has faith in him, that they approved part two, the weekend of the release. Like it didn't take, it didn't take him more than three days to make the money to, for the studio to be like, Oh yeah, we're making part two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have so much faith and high hopes for the second movie. Got to wait till 2023. But uh, until then, do we want to go into tomato tomatoes? Yes. Yes, I do. Tomato tomato. The critics, they're bringing this in at an 82%. No comment yet. Yeah. Tomato, the audience, they're bringing it in at a 90. So that's basically a B minus to an A minus. Okay. Well, guess what? I'm going tomato. Mm-hmm. Sided with the audience. Um, when I left the theater, I loved it. I was high on it. And I was like trying to think like, I was thinking more and more about it. Gut reaction. I was like, A, now that I've watched it more and more and I keep reading the book and I just see how perfectly translated this movie was from a book and just how engulfing the world is and how beautiful the scenes are and how awesome everything about it is. This is an A plus. Yeah, dude. I'm going tomato and I'm going A plus also. And I kind of had the same reaction. It wasn't even so much the more I read it, the higher I got on it. I was super high on it. Like I think as soon as it ended, I looked at Brianna and I was just like, that was fucking incredible. <laughs> I was like, I loved it so much. Yeah. Um, I wasn't even at like the bottom of the stairs by the time I had like texted you and my brothers just like Dune. Whoa, <laughs> that was so good. But uh, yeah. for me, like, and I think this comes to play with a lot of movies for me. It's those days after you see a movie and you realize like, I can't stop thinking about this thing where you realize how affected you were by it. And that's how this was. Like I, both of us, we, it was like the next morning we like, we're downstairs. We're like, want to watch Dune again? Cause that was amazing. We just watched Dune on the couch. And, uh, that's like all we talked about, like literally for like three days after we watched the movie, we pretty much only talked about Dune. And yeah, like at that point I was just like, how is this not an A plus? This is like the only thing that I've like, I was joking. I was like, it's, it's my only personality trait at this point. But yeah, like it, uh, it affected me like so hard. Like (laughs) I felt the urge afterwards. I'm like, I'm buying all the pop figures, buying the board game. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I got all the McFarlane action figures from the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just just in general. And, you know, Tenet was kind of that way for me last year. Like, I saw Tenet, and Tenet, I gave an A. I can't even remember how many movies last year I even gave an A+. But this is the first A-plus that I've given in a while. And it's just because, yeah, the movie came out two weeks ago. It's still, like, one of the only things I think about. 
<laughs> it's like yeah, it's same. like it's like this in hockey, <laughs> and uh, that's it. So yeah, I can't wait for part two. And I I actually do hope that I know we had talked about it. We're like I hope he doesn't become like just the Dune guy where now all he does is Dune movies. But I would like him to do Dune Messiah. Um, I haven't even read it, but I just feel like a trilogy would be really nice. And that book, I, I do know ties in. It's a very logical place to go after doing the first one. So I don't know. I, I really like the idea of a Dune trilogy. And then if HBO wants to do their, their shows, cause they already said they're doing the sisterhood. I'm cool with that. But, um, yeah, I, I just feel like Denis Villeneuve is the only person that we, sh- that should be touching Dune. So let him just do three movies. Then, you know, I, I, cause I don't think anyone really feels the need to like get a Dune chapter house movie yeah. or stuff like that. So like, I just let him do three and, you know, have a nice ribbon tied on the cinematic version of Dune and, and call it a day. The last thing, the question we got from a good buddy, Logan, um, he reached out and he had asked us a question and I've been thinking about this a little bit. Also, I wanted to know what you thought. He said, if you haven't recorded the Dune episode yet, do you think you guys can talk about whether or not Dune is going to be a classic movie in the level of like a star Wars because of its grand scale and then he said, I'm seeing people talk about that. I wanted to hear what you guys thought. And hmm. I'll let, I'll let you, you know, maybe answer first. But for me, like I didn't even really think so much about star Wars. I have brought it up multiple times already. I keep thinking about Lord of the Rings. Like, I feel like Lord of the Rings when it came out was such a like phenomena and also a property that was probably considered nerdy that became mainstream and ended up, like I said, winning Oscars and stuff. And it's so hard to tell whether or not something's going to be a classic right when it comes out. But in some ways, I think this, this does have the legs. That's partially also why I would kind of want a a trilogy. I feel like trilogies do end up becoming more of like, I don't know, like the cultural zeitgeist in some ways I could see it, but it's, it's very hard to tell. And I want to know what you thought about it. Hmm. I mean, definitely hard to tell, but honestly, I was surprised by how much audiences responded positively to it because I thought that something this dense and material like this would not have broad appeal that it would become like a Lord of the Rings or a Star Wars where audiences are like clamoring for it or just like really bought into it Mm -hmm. because even leading up to it, I feel like the hype wasn't there just in general for like regular folk, like regular moviegoers. Whereas, you know, now you have that with, with your Star Wars, with your Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I, it's tough, too, because this movie is so different from those movies because those movies have so much, like, there's a lot more flash to them. Not to say that they don't have substance, but there's definitely a lot more flash. You know, you have dragon battles and wizardry and things like that, or you have lightsaber duels and fucking Death Stars blowing up. And, like, there's a lot more that kind of spectacle, that action spectacle to it. Whereas Dune, you don't have as much of it. It's, it's less like lasers or magic and things like that. And I mean, maybe that's me not having a lot of faith in audiences, whether that it's seemingly a little bit more like deep. Like I feel like Dune is a little more deep than these other, these other sagas, you know? I think definitely deeper than Star Wars. Yeah, I feel like it requires like a little bit more insight because they're not slowing down and explaining things and like 
there are some things unanswered and there's like a lot of things that are intentionally confusing because the character themselves are confused by their visions and things. And things need to be unanswered for so long that I don't know if everybody necessarily enjoys that in a movie. I know there's a lot of people who want all the answers served to them. And this movie and this story doesn't work like that. So it's really hard to say for me. Yeah. But for general, I don't know if this one, cause like go around and look for Dune merchandise. Where is it? Yeah. You got Funko pops, but they make Funko pops of everything, literally everything. <laughs> um, even the McFarlane toys, they did one wave like a year ago and there's only like six figures and that's it. And there's mm-hmm. no news on wave two. There's no news on anything. You don't see Dune posters showing up. You don't see a lot of like Dune t-shirts in stores. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily can happen again like that, especially with the way it, and I'm not slamming Marvel cause I love Marvel, but like, especially with what I think audiences expect now of an Epic movie like that especially in a saga that this doesn't feel like one of those. This movie I feel like can be seen by like a snooty art film fucking lover and also be seen by like your popcorn flick loving average Joe and still be enjoyable if, if you're paying attention. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know about in general broad appeal audience that this is necessarily going to be on on that level of like super merchandised, super popular with everybody. But I think that the fan base that it does have is going to be very strong. Yeah. You know, like people are going to love it hard. Yeah. I, I do agree. Like, I don't know if this is a movie that, you know, I remember when Lord of the Rings came out, uh, there was like every single character and creature had an action figure. Like my brother, like, had almost all of them. And, uh, I don't know if this is the type of movie that, that will command that. Um, and I do think that like, you know, Lord of the Rings opposed to this. Um, I keep going back to Lord of the Rings just cause I do think that's a stronger comp. I think Lord of the Rings also had the benefit of like, there are creatures in it <laughs> and the, and, you know, the creatures right inherently probably make it more commercialized for kids. Cause it's just, Oh wow. Look at that cool thing. Whereas like, there are creatures in the Dune universe, but like most of them are like, like a guild navigator is just a mutated human. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like I do think even though this movie is PG 13, I do think it scales a little bit older. So maybe it's not like the type of property that's going to be mass commercialized and stuff like that. But I will say this, I think it's hard to tell if this will be a classic right now with just one movie, but I, I could see it becoming that after, you know, another movie or two. And I think, part of like Lord of the Rings, like when I saw the fellowship of the ring, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And then I saw the two towers and I was like, wow, that was, that was awesome. And I think the two towers, yeah, two towers is, is amazing. Yeah. I think the two towers is really when they started putting more of a focus on specific characters and their relationships. Like obviously fellowship of the ring has all the characters in there and you start learning their personalities, but I think there's much more conflict with, you know, different relationships going forward after that. And I think I've seen um, a few criticisms of this movie basically saying that some of it is like emotionally distant. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I do think this movie might not be the strongest from an emotional standpoint, but again, going back to Lord of the Rings, the first one really isn't either. And then the second builds on that. And then every time I watch the third one, I get misty eyed at the end of it. And, and, uh, yeah. So like, I could, I could definitely see, you know, if they do a second one and a third one and they build more and more on the characters and stuff like that, like there could be a really, really good payoff, uh, you know, for this as a trilogy, uh, or even if it's two movies, but I just, I do think that a lot of it, like right now, the movie has the awe and the spectacle and all the things that you want to see when you go to a movie. But I think in terms of the legs, the one thing that maybe it just needs to be a little bit more on, which I think it will like, I mean, how many, how many characters did he kill off in this movie? <laughs> like, I think, yeah, I think they're definitely going to hone in on the character. And I think he knows that. I think he knows that the focus of the movie for it to be successful has to be the characters, not, not the world. That's why he builds the world through visuals, not explaining. Right. I think it has the potential to be a classic. I just think it, hinges more so on like what they do with the characters and getting you to feel there because I think maybe there could have been a little more emotion behind this movie. But other than that, like I, I see a lot of similarities between this and Lord of the Rings when they both first came out. And uh, so, I mean, I would love it. I would love for Dune to be a little bit more well-known and uh, even if it isn't though, I'm still going to love this movie. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Yeah. I think it deserves it, but I'd be surprised by it is what I mean. Yeah. When it comes to like, mainstream audience is really grabbing onto it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, man, we knew this was going to be a long one, but I'm, I'm glad that we got to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's something, something special for the swampies. Give you a little bit more to listen to since we're, uh, you know, we've been delayed with our releases. We get, we're doing Soho next. Yep. Last night in Soho is next tonight. I actually, um, we were on the phone earlier than I had to hop off the phone to talk to Meg. And while I was talking to Meg, we got our tickets to see French dispatch later. I don't know if that's going to be an episode. Cause we still got to talk eternals. Yep. And we got ghostbusters. Yep. So it's coming. Yeah. We got, we got a lot of stuff ahead of us. So best thing you folks can do is follow us on Instagram at two dudes, move your views. Um, you can you can follow Sky Halud, that's me, for all your spicy Dune memes, <laughs> if you want. I've actually started making some of my own. Oh, you because, should. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I need to keep in uh, keep them keep the memes flowing. You know <laughs> what I mean? So you can do that if you want. I've been doing stuff at home with uh, just in general with the box scene. Like I've been. I was, I said to Brianna, I was like, our dog is really afraid of the Roomba. And I was like, I was like, this is Finn. If uh, his hand was in the box, be like, what's in the box? Roombas. No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's, um, oh, it's so fun. Oh, it's so much Dune fun. Yeah. But yeah. If you guys want to have fun, you can also go to two dudes, move reviews.com, sign up for the newsletter and yeah, keep in touch, find out what's going on. And yeah, we'll be we'll be back. I think last night in Soho is next. That's our next one. Yep. So yeah, so get excited for that. And until then, suck it swampies. Yeah.